All right, there we go. Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, let me just let me just open here quickly. Uh, this is the Onum Zone, and uh, hello to all those thrivers out there. Today we have a special guest, uh, Michael Williams, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about how he has to be preparing for his desert races, how he's getting through, staying motivated through the COVID. Besides training, he has a family, he has a practice, he's a care, uh, critical care a veterinarian. And, um, you know, so how are you doing today, Mike? Good, good. It was a little, uh, a little traumatizing this morning, but, you know, we, we get through it, right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, quite a bit of technical issues. Uh, so for those who don't understand, we were um, trying to do a, a live video on Facebook and for some reason, we had some technical difficulties. So we decided, well, we're going to bring it to a podcast and we're going to share our ideas and chat a little bit about the future of the racing that's ahead of us, right? Yeah, it sounds good. So we need so, to get out there and see what's going to happen. Yeah. So tell me, listen, you were chatting away this morning <laughs> and uh, you were talking about um, how you're getting ready and the things that are important for you. So tell me a little bit about that. So, yeah, as we were trying to talk about this morning before Facebook and Internet didn't want to work for us, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, I'm a critical care veterinarian. So, you know, I'm pre- pretty busy. I work nights, um, long shifts, 12 to 15 hours at a time. So, you know, scheduling training, staying positive, the stress at work, you know, weighs its toll as, as you've known, you've, you've heard me over quite a, quite a bit of time. We've known each other now, just kind of text and, you know, been like, Oh my God, work. And how am I going to train? Um, but there's always, you know, there's always that light at the end of the tunnel for, for me, especially that I look at, um, to try to, you know, to stay positive, to know that the race is coming up, Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's definitely, I, I mean, I like the fact that um, we're all getting excited again because there was some time where people were like, oh, no, the race is moved. Oh, no, the race is canceled. But besides that, what are, you know, what are your plans? Because if you think about it, we have basically two and a half months left to prepare for a 250-kilometer race. And basically, we have been in, in certain places in lockdown. So what are, you, what are your feelings about that? Yeah, so I, I think it's, you know, if, if, you, if you look at the postings by everybody, I, I, I think everybody's been really trying to stay positive and motivated, whether they're in their house, whether they're on a treadmill, whether you're able to get out and train a little bit. Um, I happen to be very fortunate enough uh, where we live here, which is, I guess you would call the last farming district of Miami, um, to be able to go out and run on the roads. And honestly, e- even as much as I run, I rarely ever see anybody. Um, and, you know, focusing on, you know, the upcoming events and to stay in shape and to eat right, it's, it's really hard you know, to not fall down the rabbit hole too far with, 
eating, drinking, going out too much, or just, just, you know, saying, you know what, I'm not going to train today, or I, I just don't feel like doing anything. Um, you know, the gyms being closed, that was a real, that was probably a real hit for me. Cause if you look at back posts, I really, you know, like hitting the gym and, you know, using all the different equipment because, you know, especially for me in Miami, um, you know, my altitude is about negative nothing here. Uh, <laughs> There, there's no, you know, there's, there's some dirt roads. You can run on like farming roads along the train tracks here, but there's, there's no hills. There's no mountains. There's, there's no terrain. So, you know, I, I have to adapt to my location. My, my one bonus is heat. So, you know, in the summer I train, it's, it's a hundred degrees plus here, a hundred percent humidity. Um, if, if you've seen some of my training stuff, I mean, one mile out and you're, you're soaked, like you just ran a marathon. So, you know, that's a lot of my strength training comes in to build endurance based on my, my little bit of my crazy American that I've, I've been called, um, to, you know, to drag tires and to run with 50 pound dumbbells on my shoulders and, um, you know, to lunge a mile with pushups in between for, for hundreds and hundreds of counts, because, you know, my endurance has to be built different than someone who, you know, lives in Colorado or the Pacific Northwest for us, uh, where, where you can, where you can run, you know, up, up that mountain in your backyard, you know, and, and yeah, it makes me super jealous, but, um, you know, I also, you know, have the benefit of heat when it gets really, really hot on the course. I, you know, I, I, I just keep trucking and it really doesn't phase me too, too much. I, I already know how to balance my electrolytes, my salts. So I happen to be fortunate that, you know, I can adapt to heat very well. And that was a factor in Gobi 2015. I got really lucky because it got to 117 degrees Fahrenheit in the desert. Wow. Um, and, and that was my, I was actually my first stage race I'd ever done. So, you know, I kind of go through the first days and then the, the day that it was 117 was, was the, like the 54 mile day. So it was the, it was the killer day. And, you know, I came in one of the, one of the top um, 20 runners that, that day, I think I came in like 15, 16, 17th place. So, you know, I came in like behind, you know, that top little group that you're always watching and, and, you know, I'd never done this. And, you know, everybody is burnt out and toast. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I feel pretty good. It was hot, but it, it worked for me, you know. Um, now, go, go full circle on that. When I raced in Patagonia and I got, I got my ass kicked. It was so cold. It was so wet. It was so muddy, torturous for me. Um, that, that mentally was a, like that race was really, really hard because of weather. And it was like, every day was like a mental battle for me. And, and I had a really good buddy, um, that ran pretty much the whole race with me. And he, he, he kept me going the, the whole time, you know, he was my positivity. Um, and he, you know, he basically was like, you're, you're not going to stop. You've done these, you're good at them. Just, you know, you just have to deal with it. You know, um, so I, I think you just you just have to keep that positive mind, whether you're training or racing that uh, you, you, you may not end where you want to or do as well or, or you're just out there to hike. You know, you always hear me say, 
um, you know, you got to go out and have fun. And if you're going for a killer spot, you know, don't, you know, don't get disappointed if something happens, um, which, you know, yeah. you've, you've, you've been try forever. I'm, I'm sure that just like your um, when you were talking on your positive mentoring, when that, that, that race that you were just beating yourself up through the whole race, trying to finish it. Yeah. So I like the, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I like you bringing up is the mental attitude that you have to have in these races, because you just mentioned two races, the one that is like super hot and the one that is super cold. So when you were doing, when you went into Patagonia, did you know that it's going to be that cold or you just, it was just the, the weather just changed on you guys and it was so much colder than you expected? You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer both the Gobi, the Gobi race and, and that race. So I knew Patagonia was, was going to be a, a cooler run. Um, I, I just didn't expect it to be that cold and that wet. And I mean, when we started the long March, um, the rain started almost as soon as we took off down the road out of, um, camp four and, it, it just, it just deluged. I mean, it poured and poured and poured. So everybody, you know, cause it's, everybody's out there. We, everybody was soaked to the bone by the time you got to, to stage one, that first six or seven miles was your feet were soaked, covered in mud and, and you were drenched, drenched. Um, and that mentally, you know, made it, <laughs> that made it really, really hard and my buddy caught up to me at stage one because I actually stopped at stage one um and uh one of one of my medic buddies who's a friend of mine was there and I was I was leaning against the tent and I was like dude I'm, I'm like I'm done man and he had ran Sahara with me we actually ran Sahara together him and I and I was like dude I, I can't do this man I'm soaked I'm cold I'm like it's just it's not gonna happen and he's like, he's like, take a break, sit down. I think they got me some hot cocoa or something because they had it at like almost every station. They had something warm for us. And um, my other buddy caught up to me after a few minutes and he's like, oh, what's going on? And I'm like, no, no, no. And he's like, come on, man, we're, we're, we're going to push this out together. He's like, we're going to push it out together. We'll go your pace. And um, we ended up finishing um, not actually not too, too bad. I think we did it still in like a 10 or 11 hours. So it wasn't horrific, but I mean, it was just mentally, it was just, it was so cold. It was so wet. Um, now <laughs> to go to Gobi, when we raced in Gobi, um, day one, stage one, there was an absolute s snowstorm. We probably got halfway through the course and a blizzard hit and there's pictures of it. I mean, they, the dune, one of the dunes they wanted us to crawl up and over, like got completely wiped out. The flags disappeared. Um, me and another buddy, we, they ended up putting the flags like around it partially because you, you, you couldn't see anything. And that, that hit me really hard too, because I mean, it was, it was literally like a, a whiteout. And it, of course, I had every single piece of clothing on out of my bag. Um, and again, this is Miami boy training in 100 degree weather. And all of a sudden it like 
within morning in the 50s and and it it drops below 32 degrees fahrenheit i i think it was like in the teens when the snowstorm came through um you know mentally i was probably a little more prepared for that race um but when things hit you that hard that you don't expect for me i think that's really that's really what kind of gives you a, a, a kick in the ass of you know, yeah, I can quit. Uh, I, I can. But, you know, my mentality is very unlikely I'm going to die out here because there's so many people. But <laughs> I'm going to really I'm going to really hurt by the time I get in. Um, and, and that day finished. And the next day they ended up having us climb up like this. I don't even know how many thousands of feet of a snow covered mountain to this beautiful temple. So you know, they had us run. I don't even know how many hours we climbed up there and uh, we climbed, 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 climbed. And I, I just gritted my teeth and I, I just cranked up the hill. Um, and there was probably a group of five or six of us right in the front. And we got up and then the rest of the run was almost like down this dirt path around these hills. And uh, it ended up being like an amazing run day for me. Um, and, it was, you know, really enjoyable, e- even the climb, because I just set myself that, OK, I know there's snow and you know what? I'm dry and I'm going to deal with it. But, you know, when you don't expect it or at least when I don't expect it and it hits me, it's sometimes hard for me to adapt. Um, OK, so tell me, listen, before you go, I want to ask you. So you're talking about things that I think is like really, really important because um it sounds like there's sometimes where you had to like really dig deep. Now, when you were training, did you do, did you practice anything special that when you were in that situation, um, help you to cope with it? The stress of the weather changing on you or climbing over a mountain that was full of snow or not experiencing as much cold because of where you're coming from in the heat. So you really have to change your, your training methods on all levels in order to encounter any, any kind of variance that's coming your way. So how did you do it? Well, you know, as, as we talked earlier today, I mean, I, I have a mountaineering background, so it's not as if I've never lived in the snow. You know, I've climbed Mount McKinley a couple of times, which is 20,000 feet. I mean, I, we lived out there for like 36 days, um, you know, the whole Pacific Northwest, I've summited almost everything out there, Mount Rainier, Mount Shasta, Mount, Mount um, Baker, all, all those mountains. Um, but I knew it was coming and I knew what I was getting myself into. Now, unfortunately, I've lived in Miami for almost 20 years and, you know, we go skiing once a year for fun. You know, to me, that's not, I'm not really throwing myself to the wolves because if I do a run and I'm cold, I go get a beer in the lodge. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so that so, sounds more like it <laughs> right so you know mentally as far as training it's it's been a I'll have, I'll have to admit I'll say it's it's been hard for me to adapt now because there's no way there's no way for me to train for it um I just have to know it's gonna come now the good thing that I've raced so much over the last five or six years is I've pretty much been through every kind of weather that they can put us through. So I've been through blizzards to the searing heat, to sand up to my knees, to, 
being completely soaked right out of camp. Um, so I know my body can do it that mentally for me with all these races with the grand slam plus, um, and even in Atacama when we raced there and did real good, you know, my focus was there's nothing new they can throw at me. You know, we've been through sandstorms, the, the hot, the cold, I, I've, and I've made it, I suffered, but I made it. So I know that if I just push myself and keep my cadence and my pace and, you know, I go just go through the steps mentally that I can just keep running. I can keep up a good pace and, and I can, you know, stay at the top as long as I don't get injured. And that's what really helped me in Atacama because the races started really cold in the morning for me. Um, you know, cause it was what, like 30 degrees for us or something in the thirties. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's cold for me. But, uh, yeah, and also the altitude was was and that was, was a, it, go yeah, ahead and and that was a kicker and um for me I knew not only the cold but yeah because I think that that first day started off at what like nine ten thousand feet or something and remember I'm I'm zero sea level um so there's no there's no way I can I can train for that but I knew my perceived effort which you probably could explain even better than I am. Um, I knew my perceived effort was going to be much, much higher at altitude than I was used to. So my, you know, my normal max heart rate, I don't like to push over 130 to 140 for, for long, long periods of time, which again, you can explain that because of course strain on your body and your heart, but my perceived effort, I mean, when, when I was racing that first day, even though I came in so so in the in the top there, I mean, my my heart rate held at almost 150, 160 that whole first day. I mean, really, really hard on me. Um, so yeah, that's pretty high. That, that's a pretty high heart rate. But if you would, you know, we, we're so we're discussing and just to kind of let people catch up a little bit. Um, you were talking about the Grand Slam Plus because, I mean, we're talking about races. People would be like, what the hell is that? So um, Sorry, before everybody. you explain to me, no, before you explain to me what those are, um, I also want to know. So from now, if I am a if I am somebody that uh, want to do one of these races for the first time, what would be your recommendations? Like, what do you think is the most important thing for somebody when they when they look at something like this and they're like ah, i want to do this you know what would you tell them like off the bat what would you uh tell them to do um and how long would you tell them to start training before they attempt a race like this and then explain to me that the five the grand slam plus is as well ah, so yeah, I, I get asked a lot because, of course, being in South Miami um, and, and a, a veterinarian, um, you know, there's not many people that do what we do, especially in the veterinary field. When, when I go to a meeting or something and, and you know, I have friends or someone knows uh, they, uh, you know, it's, it's people are just kind of amazed that that I even do that. Um and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people I know that do the marathons and stuff, but I, I tell people that, you know, really I, I would, I would train at least six months out before a race. And I'm not talking train that you're going to win or, you know, unless that's really your whole goal. 
Um, but it, you know, building up your endurance and being able to have a low calorie count, but be able to continue on, I think is really, is really important. Plus, you know, we mentioned bag weight. So, you know, a lot of people want to overpack their bag because they're afraid they're not going to have something. Um, and when I first did start training a lot, especially for Gobi, I, I pretty much I never my feet never hit the road unless my bag was on my back ever. I never, never trained without it. Um, anytime I ran. Um, and you know, I tell people, you know, look at six months out, set up a planning, a training plan, or I'll, I'll help you depending on what, you know, what your level is and where you want to be. Because a lot of people can hike, they can run and, you know, have a really good time at the first races and, and racing the planet sets it up. So it's, it can really be an enjoyable experience for you. And, you know, we've, you, you and I have done multiple races with them. A, a lot of people track it. Um, and they have a really good time. Um, and then, you know, there's the front runners that are, you know, we're out there to, to, you know, really, really come in, come in on the top 10 if, if we can. And it's, you know, it kind of brings in a different mentality of, you know, stress, you know, pushing, pushing your body to a limit that's controllable for periods of time and day after day. Cause you know, you could run down America, you know, you could run out that first day on marathon pace um, and be, be done for the rest of the race, you know, and I, and I've seen it happen. Um, and I'm sure you've probably seen people in tries that just crank. And then at the end, there's, there's nothing left. Um, so I told people build endurance, be able to keep a pace, be able to run repetitively day after day for, for some distance. Um, and I personally never usually run more than 10 miles in any, any training. That, that's all I do. I never do 15s, 20s, 30s. I just, um, you know, my time just doesn't really allow for like, for me to disappear for long periods of time like that, which is why I do a lot of split training and combo training. Um, so that's usually my answer. You, you, you have to plan ahead and you need to, you know, work on endurance and, and you know, be able to run with weight. Um, now the races, you mentioned the grand slam plus, do you want me to just kind of hit real quick on, on that for us? Yeah, because, you know, we're talking about races and I'm sure that, you know, people would not understand if anybody would listen, what, you know, what these races are and, um, you know, just to tell us about the company that runs it and why they're so extraordinary um, special these races that we're doing. So, so racing the planet, it, I tried talking today. I, I don't know what was heard or not. Um, so, you know, when I first started looking, you know, at stage racing or ultra racing around the world, um, you know, racing the planet to me kind of just caught my eye because of their philosophy, their safety. Um, I think I want to say it was probably poor Rita, <laughs> <laughs> that I bothered most with my first race. Um, and I'll have to say that I, there was no question I ever asked that her or one of the, the um, group didn't answer for me in, a, in an email. Um, and I think that's real for me, that was really important because, 
you know, if it was, I'm not going to mention any race's name. If it's a race and you're emailing, like just asking some general questions or something, a lot of times you don't get a response or it's, you know, look at our website. That's what you get back. Yeah. 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 And and I'll have to say that if you're going to do a stage race for the first time, um, I, I think racing the planet is probably not only the coolest, but they're very safe. Um, they're very informative. They're fun. Um, and, and you're going to, you're going to, if you do it right, you're going to set yourself up for a win. All right. A win to finish. And I, I think that's really important when you go out for your first time. Um, so they just, they just appeal to me, you know, everybody was nice. Even at the first race, you know, Mary, Rita, Sam, um, uh, Zena. I mean, everybody's always, always, always been just super cool. They're just a good, good group. They answer questions. They're really nice. They're good to everybody. They help everybody any way they can. And, and to me, I think that's important. And, and I've seen them, you know, do it. I've seen it on their Facebook and Instagram answer questions. I've seen it at races firsthand, you know, they're, they're involved too. It's not like, you know, here's a bunch of volunteers, they disappear and you never see them again. Hell no, man. They're, they're right there in the nitty gritty with, with everybody, with all of us. Um, and I think that's really important that everybody should know with, with them. So that's what drew me to them. Now raising the planet. So they have their competition, which is called the grand slam plus, which is five. Well, basically they have their, um, there are three main races. Then they have um, their roving race, which they move around every other year, right? Every other year? Uh, the roving no, race? No, they moves? do it. They have or is a it every year? Every year. Is it every year? Okay. Oh, it's yeah, Antarctica. It's Antarctica, Antar- that they have. Antarctica is every, other. every other year. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, so the races they do, so the Grand Slam Plus is basically you do all five races in the calendar year. Now, like I mentioned this morning on our talk, we tried to do is, of course, because of COVID, and and I did ask this question, you know, they're going to adapt that a little bit that, you know, God forbid, if something happens, if it closes, and we have to do it at a later date, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna make it work for for the group of us trying to do this. Um, So the grandson plus is doing all five races in a calendar year. Now, you know, the normal calendar year for these races, I think we have, I think they're in eight months give or take maybe nine months so you're basically racing um every six to eight weeks you're you're in a new location racing around the world um so um Naibia in africa is going to be the first one and you know they're all the races are 250 kilometers or 155 miles um they all start sundays to saturdays deeming unless something changes and a race has to be moved Um, and you know, what we do is you basically show up and you check in and they, they have a lot of good information on their website. So, um, there's the Africa race and then we go to Gobi, I think next, correct? Yeah. Gobi and then Georgia and then Chile Yep, and then Antarctica. And then we do Antarctica. So, yeah. Um, you know, those are the five locations that, that they, that they push us through, you know, to, to complete the, the Grand Slam Plus, you have to finish, you know, all five races in the allotted time, 
you know, you don't have to finish first place. You don't have to come in a certain number. You just have to be able to finish all the races. Um, and if you look at their list, if I remember, there's only eight people in the world that have completed it. Um, I'm actually just looking now because I want to see. Yeah. yeah. So there's, that, there's that's actually my next question of how many people have completed it and how many people are signed up and why are you doing it? So, yeah, so I'm looking right now because I had to make sure. So there's, so there's only eight people in the world um, and it goes from 2010 to 2016 is the last time that, that it was finished because, of course, COVID, you know, we didn't get to do it two years ago um, that have completed the race. And I actually know a couple of the people that are on here. So some, some, a lot of these people are pros. A couple of them are just general, you know, I guess I want to say Joe blows like me. Um, I just wanted to, for me to do the grand slam plus uh, you know, building that into my schedule took me a, about a year or more of planning. So, you know, I am the medical director of the hospital. So I, I work a lot. I deal with a lot. So me leaving in and out was really, um, really kind of an important aspect that I needed to deal with. Um, and, you know, plus my family, I have, you know, I have children, my wife, um, you know, I have to balance everybody out and keep everything rolling and, and keep people happy. So, you know, my wife and I talked it quite extensively, um, you know, laid out basically the map, the races, you know, what was going to happen. Of course, la last year, 20, 2020 is when we were supposed to do it. Um, and we, we figured out a way for me to be able to compete. And for me personally, I wanted to be able to do the grand slam plus, cause it's something that yes, few, few people have done, um, but it's, it's something that I know I'm going to really have to push myself to a new level that I haven't, I haven't experienced over and over just doing one race or a couple of races a year, this big is, is hard enough, but, um, being able to do five of these, um, as, as I just want to call myself as, as the normal guy, um, to me, I, I think just really just really appealed to me and to show that it, it can be done, that anybody can do it, no matter how busy you think your schedule is or what you have going on. Um, if you plan right and if you train right, um, you should, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to complete a, a huge task that very few people in the world have, have, you know, been able to do. Um, well, well, I don't think you're a normal average guy. So get over <laughs> that, first of all, because the people that do that are not just av they're average people that are doing extraordinary things. But it's also if you look at the people across the board that does it, you know, they're exceptional in their own lives. And yeah, just get over that thought, because that's not going to be working for you anymore. Okay. Oh, as, am I am I exceptional now? Because that's well, I'm not going to say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it sounds like it's a big task, and I know that you know I personally signed up for it, and um, you know I'm excited about everything and about all the new things. And even though COVID was a hard adjustment, I feel like almost COVID 
personally gave me a chance to kind of learn a lot more where I want to tweak and tweak about my nutrition and, you know, the different places, the different environment and um, applying different aspects of training. But yeah, so if you're, you know, are you, I know we did this great project together, raising money for Namibia, but what, just a what if, Put a, I'm going to put a wife, what if there, and I know you don't want me to put it out there, but what if they move Namibia to, to uh, I think, November, where they moved it last year? What would your thoughts be on that? I mean, it, it, would, it, would, it would sadden me for sure, but I, you know, I know everything is, is for safety for us. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm okay. I, I already have in my mindset that one or two races are going to get moved around or have to be done next year just because of COVID and location. And if that's what happens, I'm ready for it. Now, if the whole year gets shot down again, oh, yeah, I'll be um, – I think I'll just have to buy a couple of large a large a pepperoni pizzas and, and maybe just sit by myself in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on that one because that's going to be a tough one. But I, I do think that if they, um, I mean, things are happening. Races are taking place. I, I know this is a very different type of race, but I do know that, um, you know, the races are taking place. They're putting protocols in place. And, you know, the advantage of these races, they're very small groups. So you mentioned to me there's about how many people that's going to participate in, in Namibia. I think right now... When I looked last week, I think there was 74 people that were going. And, and I honestly, like you and I had talked, I really thought there was going to be going to be a, a, you know, a lot, lot more. Um, but I'm trying to see here. Yeah. The show. Yeah, um, I think that um, I mean, that's a small group. I think the, when I did Namibia two years ago. I think we were a little bit of over a hundred people. Yeah. So there's, um, Oh, it went up a little bit. So I'm actually at the end of the list. So number 83, that would be me. Oh, okay. So okay. we have 83 people. So it actually went up about 10 people from, from last week. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I think it's going to be, listen, I think Namibia is one of the best races to do, especially as a first one. That's the one that I started with. And I was really happy to do it. Obviously, it's below sea level, so it's even better. And the terrain is just unbelievable. And um, obviously, you know, I was a newbie when I started doing it. So listening to you as an experienced racer, one of the things that I'm definitely working on is my backpack uh, situation. Because I realized even, even when I changed my backpack for Gobi, I, I made another mistake. In Namibia, I had a 30 kilo, a 30 pound backpack and Gobi, I wanted to go, go lighter. Instead of going 25, I went 20 and that was just too much. Like that 10 pound difference made a huge difference because of the way you pack your stuff and the way it sits on your back. So, um, I mean, do you do you practice with different kinds of backpacks or you just try practice with the one you're going to race? So uh, I've I've been through three or four different bags, um, Raid Lights, OMM. Um, 
and another one that's the black and white checker. Is that OMM too? Um, yeah, so I've, 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 I've been through a different bags, a few different bags. So classically, you know, what I'll do when I get a new backpacker, I have some idea in my head is I'll basically not tell my wife and I'll grab every towel that we have. And I, I fill the backpack up to capacity because as a general human rule, the bigger your bag, the more stuff you're going to grab to put into it. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Whether whether we go on vacation or you have a little duffel sack, you know, if if you get the biggest suitcase you have to go away for a week, guess what? You're gonna fill it up, <laughs> whether you need it or not. Um, I'm I'm guilty of it too. Um, so I never go over a 25 liter pack. So packs are usually rated in liters. Of course, a a, a liter is a, is a volume size, so everybody knows. Um, and they go everywhere from little one liter bags, which are basically like your little ultra bags, all you can get the bags up for mountaineering up to 50, 60 liter sizes, huge. Um, so I found personally that a 25 works well for me. If I go over that, I overfill it. If I'm under it, I can't get enough food in it for myself. Um, and as you know, uh, I, I love to eat. So that that's a kicker. I got to be careful when I, when I pack my food, but I do now what I do with a bag, since I know how backpacks feel when I get a new bag, the only thing I usually do is I do, I fill it with towels. I put it on, I walk around with it in the house and I will do some like loops, you know, around the house with it. Just, just an, you know, easy fun, more, more, not, I want to say even a training run. It's more of just a test of the bag to check the straps, you know, take the bag off, put it back on, um, you know, check, check the waist. Has anything, you know, shifted? Does it look like I have to adapt the bag, um, add more straps to it. And then from there, once I think I have a good feel, then usually I'll, I'm just going to put it on and race with it. So I use the OMM bag. Um, which is, uh, which one was it? I showed it on my thing. It's just, basically it's the green one. It's, it's their general open carry. And I had a lot of luck with that. You know, it's basically a bag with straps. There's no frills on it. Um, I saw people race with it in, uh, Sahara actually Jack's who's, who's on, who is a grand slam pluser and, and an amazing ultra runner that, was like one of her fave bags. And that's one reason why I got it. And it worked really, really well for me. Um, I've raced with Raid Light. I really, really like the Raid Light bags too. Um, but, you know, I see they have a lot of problems. I think they need to do a little R&D with their, with their strap attachments. Sorry, Raid Light. I, I love you guys and your stuff. But you know, just one thing that I found, like I mentioned today, when I, when I went to Patagonia, as soon as I got in the boat to cross the water, my shoulder strap completely blew off my back. Like, not even like slightly tore. I mean, completely pulled apart. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that was... That one, sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to carry this, this, this bag on, uh, like on my front. Like, I'm going to have to carry it with my arms the whole time. And... Uh, I ended up like begging you hear me. I, be I begged the medical team for some, they gave me some like suture. I found some duct tape and I, I ended up just kind of 
rigging that whole side of my bag. And it worked for me. It actually held perfect. And I didn't have a problem with that. I couldn't adjust that side, but, but the bag worked. Um, but I mean, that's another thing, like you said, you just, with the weather, you just have to adapt if something happens. Um, you know, I've seen people's shoes fall apart and just looking for duct tape to try to tape them, shoelaces break, um, just, you know, different things you have to deal with. Some of them are big. Some of them are just a nuisance. Yeah. And I think the more you get experienced, and I think that's the thing, it's like, I also found it very helpful to watch the YouTube videos. And I want to make a correction because I said 30 pounds and it's 30 liters. Just to make a correction, you're right. The bags are in liters so that people don't misunderstand. So listen, we're coming close to the end here. And I would really like to pick up and do another episode with you because I find it very interesting. And maybe next time we can do a little bit more of the... um, I know you like doing your talks on Facebook. And I'm going to post this podcast on Facebook. But I I know that you do some um, talks about packing the backpack and um, different types of shoes. And something I really want to get into is nutrition. So I would love to schedule another time with you so we can go over those things that I think is like so important because people are always looking for really good nutrition and hydration, especially when the weather changes. So what do you think? Are you up for something like that? Yeah, I would love to. I, you know, being a veterinarian, (laughs) a doctor of veterinary medicine, (laughs) um, and, and I, and I do, I do have a, a couple other degrees, but, um, you know, nutrition, I've always found fascinating. Now I don't have a nutrition degree or anything, but I, I do read a lot of abstracts. I, I have a lot of medical friends that I ask questions. Um, I always, always bother the medical team when we're there too, you know, about their little hits or misses. And they do a lot of studies with racing the planet too, um, with nutrition, calories and all that. I've, and I've done a couple of those, but Nutrition, I think people get really confused um, on how much and what they need to carry and do with with um, nutrition. Like like we mentioned earlier, that people want to bring four or five thousand calories a day. Um, yeah. Ra- ra- yeah, ra- yeah, racing and being all over. Honestly, I can tell people that's that's not that's never going to happen for you. It's just just too 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 much. Um, so I think a talk about like what I found is hit and misses. Um, things I've learned by seeing and reading have have really helped me. And I want to say and add a comma when we race that since I had a few years under my belt. That was probably um, I will have to say that was probably the best balanced nutrition run that I ever had because I knew what my body needed. You know, I, I kind of knew whatever, how everything balanced out and it it worked really well for me. And I, I think that's important for people not, not to be misguided with the daily thoughts, like what I eat now, what I train today, um, is not going to be, what you're going to hit in the race. Cause you know, number one, you just can't have the same food in your home that you can keep in your backpack. Um, you know, plus, you know, you have to worry about weight and, and volume that that weight is going to take. So 
I think, yeah, that's definitely like a whole talk in itself of nutrition balancing. And then I am going to do a couple of broken up specific talks on gear specifically for Africa, the few packs I have and, and the hits and misses of those. And then I've been asked for a year now <laughs> since we were supposed okay. to do this about nutrition, like uh, pr probably if I've not gotten a hundred, I've gotten more messages on what I carry, who I use, how do I pack? How do I separate everything? How do I get my food into those tiny little Ziplocs that people see me show up with that six of them laid on the ground, the tiny little numbers on them. And then, you know, people are like dumping out like huge bags of food onto the ground. And <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I saw, I'm one of those. I'm one of those. Like, I'll, you know, if Mary didn't tell me to repack my expedition foods into plastic bags, I was like, I would have been walking around with like 20, 30 bags. Yeah, I swear to God, I had so much. It was crazy. It was insane. I was laughing. People were looking at me like I'm a freaking alien, man. Yeah. It was so funny. So listen, Mike, we're coming to the end here, but I want to I wanna thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. And um, yeah, and listen, let's do this again. And uh, we're going to tackle nutrition and packing those bags because we're getting close and people are going to be like getting starting to get frantic and want to have a few ideas. So um, thanks a lot. And yeah, thank uh, you for having until me until next time. All right. Sounds good, my friend. Thank you.